So in 2019, in the summer, I ended up, I did the WOMAD gig. So I had 200 people around me in a circle laughing, which, and I, I just knew then that it's my calling. And then obviously COVID came along and like overnight, obviously the business went vroom. And I was like, right, okay, I need to dig deep now into this laughter because this is where I really need it. And join forces with four other people. We started doing laughter sessions four times a day um, on Zoom. And after, it was probably about two weeks into it that I suddenly went, wait there, there's a business here. In this episode of the Found It podcast, we talked to Pete Can, the laughter man. He tells us about his first venture in hospitality, his learnings from a failed app launch, and how he turned his passion of laughter into a sustainable business. Check it out. Well, thanks for coming on, man. Um, uh, Mike's told me a, a fair bit about you. Like, um, obviously, it's going to be, I know you guys have been chatting before, and uh, um, it's going to be kind of new to me, but we always start um, all the episodes off with pretty much the same question. And that's what made you want to be an entrepreneur? Why did you decide to start your own thing instead of just, you know, taking a nine to five sort of job like everybody else? Okay. So, uh, do you know, I sort of fell into it, if I'm honest. Um, so I used to be in recruitment uh, for, used to run a chef, well, not run a chef agency. I worked for another chef agency, another recruitment agency. And then Chloe and I went traveling for 14 months around the world. And when I came back, it was in 2009 when the recession was kicking. So we were coming back. Uh, I remember being in uh, Colombia and and literally like a load of Brits were coming over, uh, starting their travels. And they're like, you're going back? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> oh, man, it's not a good place to be. And uh, so I went back, you know, came back to the UK in 2009 and um, literally right into the heart of the recession and went to my old job. And literally it was like a month and a half later, last one in, first one back out. So it sort of, I spent a day or two looking for a job. And then I said to Chloe, I was like, well, wait there, I've been running this agency anyway for a London company in Bristol. So why don't we just start, why don't we just go for it and start our own thing up? Uh, a bit naively, to be fair, <laughs> at first, because it was just like, well, it can't be too hard. And, uh, you know, obviously, as, as you're aware, you know, it, 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 it it's not as easy as you think it is. And um mm. Yeah, so that's sort of how I started the entrepreneur. But I suppose before that, I used to, or I, and during, used to promote club nights. So used to, you know, make make money by by putting events on. So I've I've had that entrepreneurial spirit in me beforehand. So um, enjoy sort of promoting and marketing inside of things. So that's how I would say I fell into it. Awesome. Um. So what was that agency doing? Like you worked at? Was that you said you were a chef before or something? Yeah, so I, well, I'm from I'm from a hospitality background, born and bred, sort of from college all the way through, and then um, the agency I worked for, we used to supply waiting staff, bar staff, and chefs to like stadiums, event staff, you know. So like, say the race course races were on, they'd, they'd need to draft a load of people. So, um, and then hotels, pubs, restaurants, and that that's what we did basically. We were supplying them, and then started when we started our agency we started doing waiting staff. So the first literally, I would say six months, me and Chloe were out working. We were, we were charging for like four people to turn up. So me and Chloe would be two of the people and then would get two other people to help us. So we, we started really small, really, really small. And after, I think it was probably about four or five months, we started then doing jobs where it wasn't just us doing it. We were booking other people in. 
and luckily I had the the database from a previous company which I was able you know they obviously didn't like me taking their customers but <laughs> but I didn't I didn't oh, have any con- yeah I didn't have any contracts signed because uh, when we traveled for 14 months they'd forgotten to get me to re-sign it so um <laughs> uh but obviously i'd built relationships over the the previous sort of three years so it's Mm. um yeah that's that's that it's funny because that's kind of saying how you fell into it like we've spoken to a lot of different entrepreneurs and everyone's kind of had their own different approach and why they do what they do but falling into it seems to be quite a common one that's almost similar to how you started wasn't it Martin? like around the same time as well yeah, exactly. The, the 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 well, I guess looking back at that period now, it's not as bad as it was now. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, because yeah, I mean, yeah, I kind of fell into it as well. Uh, very similar time as well. Um, there was nothing else to do. You had to, you, you know, you, you, I had a mortgage which I'd just taken on that time, and uh, you, you know, you just had to work. You had to just organically kind of build a business. But I think there's some similarities there, Pete, in terms of. I mean, I don't come from a business background. I used to be able to, I guess make money on the side as a side hustle um but you sort of all when you're building a business um it's a completely different ask um you know obviously managing people how did you find that when you obviously started to grow quite quickly sort of managing people or yeah yeah that i i think i I used to manage restaurants so I, i was used to managing personnel and teams so um and if you think about it, we, we weren't only managing a team within our office. So it took, it took, I mean, we bought our first employee on in the office after probably four months. And then in the following January, well, well we knew before January, cause we were pregnant. I say we were pregnant. Obviously I wasn't pregnant, but <laughs> you, you know how they say it. So, uh, so Chloe fell pregnant. So sort of, it was about, I think August time that we knew that we needed somebody to come in and actually support us through the, the birth of Neela. Um, so, and actually found the right person. We went through a couple of wrong ones to be fair, um, because we were hiring fast and we're just trying to, put sticky plasters on something thinking well actually we like you you're like you know nice lad you come across really well and then finding out that they had a bit of a drinking problem or they had a bit of a you know narcotic problem what whatever you know that mm-hmm. you don't know that you just you're just going by personality and then um uh, but then also we were managing teams some events we were doing in the early days 40 50 people that were all uh, sort of teenagers, all at students at uni. So the sun started shining. They're, they're not they're on minimum wage. So they weren't turning up for jobs. So there was a lot of stress that way. So um, I think managing people's definitely, I'd, I'd say it's one of my strengths, actually, getting the best out of people. Wow. So what was that like then, starting a business? Because like this might maybe sound a, quite young, but obviously I've like, um, me as someone who works in Martin, like work obviously closely with entrepreneurs and stuff, but never actually gone out and done something on my own. But what was that like, you know, finding out that you're having a kid, but then also having the stress of running a business? It seemed like two massive things that like must be, you feels like you've only got focus for doing one of those things, whereas obviously I've been trying to manage two must have been incredibly difficult. Yeah, I think it was... Um... Do you know what we we've basically got nine months to plan for it for a start, haven't you? It's not just like it's not just going to turn Coming up. Tomorrow, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so we 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 put a plan in place, and we knew that Chloe was going to be out of the business for a few months in, in the initial bit. So we made sure that I myself and Orla, who who was the other employee who's still with us. Um, were knew what we had to do and chloe was still doing bits and bobs sort of the financial side of things from like but but what the bonus was was i actually got to spend some quality time with neela my daughter when she was literally 
you know I, I'm, you can't see this on the podcast but this big you know she was <laughs> she was she was a, a, you know a, a, and sort of taking her out and having time with her so it was it was a good time uh i remember of quite a funny story was the the day of the birth um so chloe like we we i think she came uh, neither came at about eight o'clock in the morning and literally i went back to the office hadn't slept walked into our office like that and i was just literally just had one eye shut like that and all <laughs> looked at me she's like what are you doing in here i was like well do you need a hand she's like just go home, go to bed. <laughs> I'm just like, okay. And, um, but what's been really interesting over the years is that all has had two children. We've had two children and they've been sort of in, in the same sort of gaps, if that makes sense. So, yeah. so, so all took time off, then we supported her and vice versa. So it's been a really, it's been a really nice relationship that way, actually. Wow. Um, so what, um, so, so talk to us about that business then, Peter, how, where, where did it get to? so we okay so over the years we like i said we started front of house so so if you're in hospitality front of house is bar waiting anything front of house basically and then back of house was the chefs and the kps kitchen porters so we started at the beginning doing a lot of event staff and after probably about two years we realized we started putting a couple of chefs out and went wait there we got a chef out working at this pub for a week and we're making the same amount of money as we have putting 40 people out this one event and you can imagine the stress difference between organizing 40 people for a one day compared to putting a chef into a pub for for a period of time so mm. we started focusing more energy on getting to chefs and then i think it was probably about 2000 and what are we in now 21 aren't we so 2017 we decided to turn the front of house off and just focus on chefs so literally overnight we we, we cut our revenue in half so we were trading at one and a half million overnight we went right we're turning off that 750 grand off um which at the time a bit of advice from our coaches was, were just like well maybe try and backfill it <laughs> But, you know, the way I like to do it is just you've just got to do it. And just because you, you'll you in my head, it's like I'd rather be up against it. And maybe again, that's my hospitality background. I'd rather be in service, like know the pressure to make that happen. So we started and then literally within two months, the chef business had reached the same point as we we had with the front of house we had less staff in the office because we didn't need the people um, and we had a lot of people, you know, a lot of guys going out and doing these long term contracts and um so we built that up and then we started focusing more energy on care homes and schools and becoming a specialist in sort of DBS, which is like a criminal check and making sure that they've got all the right knowledge. So that was a real big turning point for us because we were still doing catering assistance. So people that were helping maybe serve the dinners at the schools. And again, overnight, we were like, right, we're going to switch that revenue stream off and just be literally a sole agency for chefs. So, and the last, sort of two years of trading we we did yeah about one and a half million turnover and then obviously covid hit back in march last year and yeah i mean we'd be lucky we were lucky to do 300k last year maybe 400k if we're really lucky because we were still doing care homes which is good um but it's obviously yeah we, we, we definitely got a big slap in the face when that came along mm. remember when we um we first hooked up and chatted you were talking about sort of technology um and in terms of you built an app, I was interested to hear that story because um, by the sounds of it, you, you, you kind of built it and then it didn't do too well. Yeah, talk to us through that. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's um, so I, I get a 2016, yeah, 2016. I, I realized, well, I felt there was a gap in the market for uh, an app for chefs, so where 
a restaurant could go online they could find a chef in their area they could book that chef um the chef so, so that would be saving the agency fee um so saving them money but also the chef could also upload their details they could be on like a rating type like a trip advisor for chefs really so mm. or an uber for chefs and we were like literally at the start of the journey that I, that I remember going to a couple of events and and putting you know we went to a hosp- couple of hospitality um conventions booked a stand and we we got a lot of exposure we we basically built a list up to like nearly twenty thousand chefs in the space of nine months so like we knew that that was what we needed to do was get the traffic we got them into the app which didn't quite yeah i mean we got about four thousand into the app but we couldn't get the customers to take pay pay the 75 pound fee that was just something that we just didn't manage to crack and we borrowed um 150 grand from um the funding circle and literally it just uh, over time just slowly slowly dwindled 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 and then we'd run out of money we'd run out of capital we'd, we'd run out of energy really to just keep pushing it and so yeah learned learned some lessons there really that, that actually i mean that you know the lessons that i did learn were how to get out and to create a buzz about something definitely uh the fact that actually uh, a minimal viable product is something I spoke about with you, Martin. It's just like, yeah, right. Rather than going out all guns blazing, like, right, let's prove the concept works before we actually invest more money into it. And, and also just taking, taking a punt. Sometimes you've got to take a punt on, on, mm-hmm. on life and, and things. Yeah. I mean, it's something obviously we deal with a lot in the business that we run. And I think one thing that I was, um, I think even to be quite honest, like even people in the tech industry who obviously understand MVPs and build them and stuff like that still takes a while to make you thinking of, it's really interesting talking about understanding what an MVP is rather than trying to make something amazing and perfect and sinking all this sort of cash into it. It's kind of difficult because I always think like if you're designing like a nice table or a bit of furniture or something physical, you kind of have to do that. It's like a traditional kind of approach to design. Like you have to make it as good as possible because as soon as you build a thousands of these, if you don't get that bit right, you built a thousand, you've got to have a warehouse to store them and all this kind of stuff. Um, I mean, you know, from hospitality days, inventory having been sat there is not not is a not a great thing. But software's so different in that respect because and something we tell people we work with all the time, like not trying to trying to think of it as an ongoing thing. I remember reading this quote once, I can't remember who it's by, but they said that software is never finished. It's either abandoned or it's still going. Like you're supposed to just constantly keep like trying things and improving things. And and I suppose what leads to a question is like, if you would, obviously you think that that thing, you learned a lot and it didn't work out, but would you, do you think like if you could go back, you would do something different or do you think it just wasn't the right step to do an app? I think if I could go back and do something different, I would definitely have gone back and proved concept quicker mm-hmm. um would have got more people involved in the initial stages we had a couple of chefs had a couple of customers that were sort of involved in the the pre-design of it um i would i would change the amount of money that we invested into like the marketing side of things because i you know about 150k that that wasn't just for the development that you know mm-hmm. i spent a lot of money on like shows on social media just building try building the tribe of chefs basically so um i think uh, would i what would i change 
yeah, I think the the beginning bit, just making sure that the proof of concept and, and making it right really minimal, like where people mm. I don't know maybe could even have just gone to a, a basic platform and just gone right. I need a chef. There's a chef in the area. Right, try and connect them, and that was it. Um, mm. Rather than going all out, all guns, all blazing, <laughs> trying to make the next best thing. Yeah. So let's kind of fast forward a bit. Like, how did you kind of get from this? like history of like working in hospitality for a long time and also like being you know promoting club night stuff how did you make that jump to like doing laughter yoga and doing what you do now it seems like a kind of trying to think about where the kind of the middle bit is to how to get to those two points yeah of course of course so so to that like i've been going to um this festival called womad in the southwest for all right yeah since 2010 and in 2016 I was walking through the Arboretum and I heard laughter and I thought, oh, there must be a comedian. So I just walked around the corner. There's a hundred people just lying on the floor laughing. And I was just like, this is crazy. What's going on? And I looked at, there was a sign that said laughter yoga daily at half 11. So I said to Chloe and the kids, I'm going to go and do laughter yoga tomorrow. And Chloe's like, go on then off you go. And I went and did this laughter yoga session. And the lying down bit is like after 20 minutes of doing lots of different laughing and breathing exercises. And I could not stop laughing. I literally couldn't stop laughing. And when I felt like I'd stopped laughing, someone giggled next to me and it just set me off again. And in laughter yoga, there's like a meditation at the end. So we did this little grounding meditation and I came to basically sat up and I felt, I felt like I felt energized. I felt lifted. I felt focused. I felt high basically on like I'd done something, you know, it was just, and Mm. I knew that actually I needed more of this in my life. So the following year in 2017, I went back and um, went to all four days, went to this like little TP version of it as well. And then, yeah, so then, so then that was it. Laughter was in my life. Uh, started looking at a few. So, so actually, this is sort of coincided with the Chef Tree app, which was the app where mm. we, you know, we, where it fell. And there was a moment of darkness, sort of in February time. Um, it must have been seventeen, where um, I was in a dark place. Basically, that the, the, the funding circle were after their money back. We didn't have the money. We were just like it was just yeah. They wanted a second charge on the house. It was just all really ugly. Put all this energy into a business where it just literally overnight just gone right. This is all gone. So I started watching these laughter yoga videos, and I remember being in um in Croyd in Devon, and I was in the sand dunes just watching. I used to say to Chloe, I was just like, I'm just going to go and have a little do my morning session, and I'd be sat there in the sand dune just laughing and like doing these exercises and it really really helped me to overcome some dark dark thoughts then so sort of fast forward then to 2019 at the beginning of 2019 I was on a a um retreat with some other entrepreneurs that I knew we were we basically rented a cottage for the weekend and I said you know what it'd be fun to run some laughter sessions in the morning so I did one session on the Saturday there was 15 of us in the lounge and Again, everyone was just, and this was just me learning it from YouTube. And they were just like, I, I, like, I remember in the evening, they were like, well, what do you want to, you know, what's our mission for 2019? We want one thing we were bringing to the table. And I said, I think I should start a laughter club. And they were like, yes, definitely. And then I got my first booking from that group. This um, friend, Kara, said, do you want to do a laughter session with my choir? And I was like, yeah, sure. How many people? She's like, 150. I was like, yep, go on then, let's do it. And uh, so I went then and learned how to do it. So the weekend before that 150, I went to learn how to practice, how to teach or lead laughter yoga. And 
I just met again member being in the class in the classroom and there was like a few teachers there that wanted to bring it in the school and stuff and then I was just like yeah I'm going to be doing laughter yoga next weekend for 150 and they're like whoa and I was like because I, I like just to go big I just like just keep it's that hospitality mentality like if I'm not stressed out I'm not doing it properly <laughs> exactly exactly and the DJ side you know as well yeah. so the the entertainment side side of it really and um so in 2019 in the summer I ended up I did the WOMAD gig so I had 200 people around me in a circle laughing which and I, I just knew then that it's my calling and then I started laughing every morning for 10 minutes with with a little group of people that I built around me for Zoom laughter. So once, and I was using it as a powerful tool for me. And I, you know, I keep pushing this to people to say, look, I, I laugh for 10 minutes, don't talk, just laugh. And then literally used to write emails or like when I say emails, I mean marketing emails. I used to write blogs, articles, just my creative juices were flowing. And then obviously COVID came along and like overnight, obviously the business went from and I was like, right, okay, I need to dig deep now into this laughter because this is where I really need it. And join forces with four other people. We started doing laughter sessions four times a day um, on Zoom. And after, it was probably about two weeks into it that I suddenly went, wait there, there's a business here. Because I thought laughter, I'd done some laughter in, in offices beforehand. And I kept getting pulled back into the chef agency, which is cool because it needed my attention. The business needed a bit of support, but the red hat was still calling me. And like you'll see from the profile photo, or yeah, mm. the red hat is my is my brand. And I wasn't sure if it would work remotely, but I did a Zoom session. And then the next time, next thing, I was charging. I charge for Zoom sessions, so I go into offices now and I do a thirty minute Zoom session. And that's where the Laughter Man became my brand. And like now, I mean, what in two weeks' time, I've got I'm on Denise Van Outen's podcast and done some laughter oh, wow. therapy with her. So you know, I'm getting noticed now, which is brilliant. And it's to to me, it's amazing that the fact that I've gone from running this successful business to actually creating a whole new business where when when things start opening, which we think probably is going to be July time when our business starts mm. really start moving again, I'm going to be the laughter man. So, we, we, you know, we're going to have two businesses out of this. So, you know, every every cloud has a silver lining. Yeah, That's a, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, I love the story of the fact that you um, I assume when you saw like this, like laughter yoga at Walmart Festival, was this the first you've ever heard of it before? Were you yeah. just like, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. Because that's so interesting that you didn't hear of it. And then two years later, you were back playing that gig. It's like, mm -hmm. like you hear about a band or something, they go and see someone at a festival and then they were like, one day we'll be up there and playing it. So that's so, yeah, it's really interesting. It's so interesting to see that you, you kind of accidentally built this audience first by just doing this thing that you were sharing with people that you thought this really helped me and it helped me with a lot of difficult things as well um and you were just sharing it and then it sort of snowballed out kind of it was almost like it feels like this almost organic thing that just kind of took on by itself um mm -hmm. was that a conscious thing or do you think that was just that just felt you just kept doing what felt natural and it just happened like that yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, ultimately the way the way I see it um, is that if I can bring laughter to one person in a day, then that's I've done a good job. Now, I've got a mission to bring laughter to a million people this year. So obviously the math doesn't add up there, but it, <laughs> it just, you know, I, I, I hear I hear people like will say, look, Pete, I did some laughter. I did your laughter live this morning on LinkedIn. And and actually, you know, my kids were doing it as well. And they were loving they loved doing that exercise. And and that just warms my heart because I just know that 
what I'm doing is I'm, you know, and, and laughter yoga has been going around for, it's been 25 years old, you know, it's not just mm. an overnight thing. Mm. And um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's just an organic process, but what I've done over the last sort of three months really is, I suppose from, from having a business and knowing how, to create a business I've gone all in in this time so I've got mm. the professional photo shot of a photo shoot I've got professional videos I've now set up a professional YouTube channel where I'm covering the benefits of laughter I've got a brand new website uh, everything I do I, I I go in now I don't just go oh, I'll do a little bit of that now a little bit I'm, I'm all in on all the platforms just to, to to push and it's really you know I suppose the, the business head of me the marketing head of me the the the, the showman of me it, it's all just aligned to become this wonderful thing mm. I suppose in a weird way it kind of accidentally what you did first is you kind of validated that idea you did what you said you would have done with the app thing is you validated by just doing it with a few people and then that okay you did it with a couple of people at the retreat and then you scale you see how it works at scale with 150 people and then suddenly you thought hang on a minute this is worth going it all in on there so it's kind of it's kind of weird how that kind of naturally happened without you having to sit there thinking first i'm going to validate something then i'm going to do something like this um yeah super interesting so how are um, you going to get to a million people pete <laughs> so that's a very good question martin thank you for asking <laughs> so um I've got old, yeah, but obviously we've spoken, Martin, about the past, the laugh idea that I've got where basically people can uh, pass pass a laugh, one of my laughs to people via a platform, whether it is an app or a web platform, we're not sure yet how we're going to go about it. But that's that's one way. Um, the other thing is sort of Clubhouse, which you know, the new, new new app that everyone's talking about. And I've been in on it for the last sort of 10 weeks, 11 weeks. So quite an early adopter to it. And I'm going into rooms, like some rooms I'm going on stage in front of a thousand people, just my laughter lift. That's what I do. I'm being, no, I've been pulled up to be the guy who just lifts the room because when, when you're in a room and there's, you know, the energy level can drop quite quickly or it can get quite intense. Whereas I just come in and just go, right, breathe in, breathe out, let's laugh, blah, 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 blah give everybody a little spike. Um, mm. And and then I look at the room and go, whoa, there was a thousand people in that room. I just mm. laughed in front of a thousand people. It's just like, it's, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not tallying them. I haven't got a wall big enough to tally a million people to be fair, but it's, um, yeah, they're, they're, there's a few different ideas really. So that's how I'm getting to my million. Yeah, I'm sure Mike's glad to hear that you're on Clubhouse. He's a massive, massive fan of um, using that. But I suppose that's kind of nice the platforms like audio things like that and i suppose you talked about it a bit before about dropping on the zoom calls and stuff that it's interesting that works really well on there and actually i think it's probably even more needed because i suppose when you're in a room with people we we know this because pre-covid times we used to run a lot of in-person workshops all the time and as a facilitator of those workshops i love the kind of energy in the room that you get and like it's my job to obviously when people are dipping around lunchtime to be able to like know when to stop or know when to get people after lunch and then okay you gotta give people a while to like kind of rev back up and things and that's even harder in a remote setting because you're not stood up you're not physically walking around you're not you can't you bounce off the energy of other people in the room as much um because you just sort of sat in your own so it's interesting to see how that works and actually how beneficial that is um, in a remote environment as well. I think also the thing with the clubhouse, because doing Zoom laughter is is 
it works it does work mm-hmm. and you, you know because you get to see each other and you get to laugh together which is nice but there's also a lot of people that don't feel comfortable laughing on camera uh, because laughter's a it, you know you, you've got to completely give yourself to to being laugh you know childlike and mm-hmm. laughing so once i got into clubhouse all of a sudden i was like wait there there's no barrier there's no video barrier now people can laugh for no reason they can laugh and they're not being seen Mm-hmm. uh and and again like I, you know i hear children in the background laughing and they're like oh pete it's yeah my daughter's like oh it's the guy with the red hat yeah let's listen to him and i'm just like that just again warms my heart man yeah, yeah it's amazing yeah how do you find the time to go spread across all the social channels then because obviously you've got a lot there you're on linkedin every day clubhouse by the sounds of it and you, you set up this youtube channel yeah, so <laughs> that's a good question, Martin. Um, I, I won't ask my wife, Chloe, that. Um, <laughs> so um, I think, you know, so the LinkedIn side of things, it's I, I do LinkedIn live. I do 8.45 every morning. That's really my only LinkedIn. And then I'll, I'll dive in every now and then and do a few comments and sort of touch base with a few people. The Clubhouse, I was all in the first two weeks. I was like properly obsessed where I think a lot of us saw our first couple of weeks of Clubhouse going, wow, I'm having conversations with, like, it's this guy, Glenn Morshower, who is like, he's the general in um, in uh, Transformers, the movie. Oh yeah. Like, I was chatting to him, mm-hmm. you know, and like, he was also the guy off 20, 24, 24 yeah. as well. Yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. So he's written, and he wrote a limerick about me on the, on the hoof whilst we were in the room together. And I was just like, Wait, this doesn't happen. Okay, he's not an A Hollywood A, but he's certainly a B or possibly a C. You know, but he's a known face. And I'm like, where? What platform do you go onto where a Hollywood actor writes a limerick about you? Yeah, that just doesn't happen. It's quite, it's quite no, an all-consuming platform, isn't it? Once you, once you start, you get sucked in. Because I, I had that as well. The first seventy-two hours, my brain was absolutely fried from listening to it and sort of consuming everything and then my entrepreneurial head was going into a spin trying to think of ways to monetize it which was a similar yeah yeah so this is the yeah so when as soon as I got in I mean I applied for a club because like that's that's probably one of the ultimate things you can do is get a club on clubhouse and um I was in the, I think it was the second day I was in one of the founders rooms. I was running at 5am in the morning. I hadn't slept. I literally went out for a run. I was in this room. The founders were in there. I was just said about getting a club. I want this laughter and positivity club. I want to do laughter 24 seven. And, and literally three days later, I had the club approved and I've still got people that apply for club at the same time. So it, again, it's who you, I suppose, surround yourself with and being in the right place at the right time. Um, so that was the first start that I did. And then I obviously go into different rooms and do these laughter lifts. Now, what I found, there's, there's some rooms where I'll be sat there you know, waiting for like three hours, like literally. And I, like, I've only done it once. And I was just like, I was on even on stage waiting that long to, to, to even pipe up. And I was like, mm-hmm. I can't, I can't be doing this. You know, I need to be in, out and, do my do my thing basically um and then i I do a thing called daily daily gratitude and giggles every morning 8 a.m it's only for 10 or 15 minutes and let's get like 20 people in the room but we just laugh for 20 minutes with a bit of gratitude and that's what i'm building is a nice tribe in there of people that want laughter they're coming to my lunchtime laughter sessions as well so again it's been quite conscious of my time and also um i think another bit of advice is definitely 
buddying up with people to you know use their expertise if it fits into your area somehow you know join um join them with like co-moderating rooms and you've got both your audiences together so i've been doing stuff um laughter and manifest your dreams through laughter and we had nearly 100 people in one room but where people were coming up to stage and manifesting what they wanted um so melanie was running that and i was attaching the laugh to the end and it was a really powerful room wow um so just like um we have a lot of people listening to this podcast who are like either entrepreneurs like yourself um or maybe they in a job and they're thinking about like i want to start my own thing i've got an idea in my head that just won't leave me alone or i want to like branch out and have the you know autonomy of like doing my own thing so if you could give like one piece of advice um for someone who's just starting out to be an entrepreneur what what would that be find a coach find a coach yeah find a coach i'd agree with that 100 yeah that that's the yeah it's i mean again like when me and chloe first started ours it was i think we went to a lloyd's breakfast meeting and action coach it's still going around actually action coach but we we signed up for this free trial and we had this guy nigel in our spare bedroom literally we're in our spare bedroom like and he sat around this desk and i've never been in this sort of environment in some spare bedroom i usually go in offices but he (laughs) set set out really early on though just like what we needed to do and and what was really interesting actually is like but him and actually the following two coaches we had all said this isn't a sustainable business because of the waiting Mm -hmm. staff and bar staff but we did prove them wrong and then obviously we got the chefs moving as well in the end but uh yeah definitely get a coach get somebody like a mentor or a coach and you know it's going to cost you money to get a good person you don't have to go straight out to the grand a month people there you know there are coaches out there that are a couple of hundred pound a month that are willing to support you that have been through it that can teach you so much and just be open to being taught as well because you do not know everything and if you think you know everything you ain't going to succeed basically you've Mm -hmm. got to be open so do you think one of the things about having that coach, because you said like they said that this part of it wasn't sustainable and you're proven wrong. Do you think it's just good having someone there just to challenge you? Mm-hmm. Like just challenge you on your ideas? Because I suppose we've been talking about, we spoke about this, um, me and Martin did when we're talking about when we do this podcast and other other marketing content stuff, which is like, no one got into being an entrepreneur thinking that they might be wrong about things. You have to have a little bit of hubris about yourself to, you know, go, well, I'm going to go all in on this, even though, you know, my family think I'm crazy because I'm leaving my job, leaving my job to do this or so-and-so things. So I suppose, do you think having that career, even though they're teaching you things, but also having someone who can challenge you and say, look, Pete, this is, you need to think about this, this and this before you go and do this. Even if you do end up proving them wrong, at least you've, you've made you think about something rather than just thinking, you know, everything. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's it's the age old as well, like surrounding yourself with the I think it's six six people, isn't it? That you become the the people you surround yourself mm. with. So it's like if you're surrounding yourself with people that are actually you know, uh, know what they're talking, like you say, challenging you. I mean, okay, so if you want to become a better swimmer. You, you, you're not going to go and start hanging around with a cyclist coach, are you? You're going to hang around with some, someone that swims coach, you know, it's going to improve your, your strokes, your nutrition, your, you know, your hydration, all of that stuff. And they're going to challenge you. And you might go, well, yeah, but I know that if I wear these goggles, I'm better. And they're going to go, yeah, but try wearing these goggles. You know, it's a bit of a out there, but you, you yeah. get the, get yeah. the idea of it. So um, I think it, yeah, I think it's important to be challenged because the thing is as well, your family and friends aren't going to challenge you. They just no. won't. They'll just go, yeah, you're doing really well. I think it's a really good idea. But, <laughs> but because they don't really, they don't really care really mm. about it. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I still, I, I, my, my parents still, they're like, I, I tell them like with like, the laughter, I was like, oh, Denise Van Outen, and they're like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Yeah, but it's Denise Van Outen, it's fascinating. So, yeah, they just, they just, yeah, they just want the most from you. And like, you know, especially again, family, they're, they're, they're like, they will question, yeah, but what, how are you going to pay the rent or how are you going to pay the mortgage? And how are you, it's like, yeah, but if you hang around with other entrepreneurs, other business heads, they're going to be going like brilliant right think this 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 make sure you've got that in place make sure you've got this in place and and it just sets you out for a strong start definitely that's some really sound advice brilliant um yeah See, I'm, think... not ju- I'm not just a laughter man i do have a brain as well. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant um Cool. Well, that's been it's been super interesting to talk to you here, and I'm sure we could talk all day if we let us. But um, is there any this past the last thing? Is is there anywhere like you want us to link in the show notes or anything like that if people can donate to or? Um... Yeah, I think the best bet is if anyone wants to find out more, just come to my website peakcan.com. Okay. And every it's all on there basically. There's um yeah it's and, and as as it grows there'll be more information on there. But and then from there you can find all my social stuff, all the videos that I'm doing, and get some laughter into your lives. And and it it it'll, it'll seem wrong not to do a bit of laughter now with you guys anyway, wouldn't it, Rob and Martin? Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Perfect. Right. Okay. So what we're going to do, we're just going to do one very quick exercise. Now, obviously, Martin, I can't see you, which is fine. And uh, Rob, I can see you, which is perfect. So what we're going to do, we're just going to take a nice deep breath in first. We're just going to let out a long ha. This time we're going to let out two ha's. Okay. Deep breath in. I'm going to go ha. Right. This time we're going to imagine that we're all in Martin's calm we're just having a bit of a laugh okay so we're going to take a deep breath in we're going to hold it for five and then we're going to laugh for 10 seconds non-stop all right so deep breath in hold it hold it hold it hold it hold it and (laughs) (laughs) and breathe in and relax that was great. And that's just a little spike, a little wow. spike of endorphins and dopamine for you guys. I don't think my uh, uh, fiance has ever heard me laugh that much or, or since COVID started, <laughs> to be honest. You probably think I've gone insane. That was brilliant, Pete, mate. Cheers, that was awesome. Pete. All right. Thanks for that, man. Take care, mate. See you later. All right, cheers. cheers. Bye.